Hey, I'm Phil. And I'm Chris. We are two dads who share one simple goal, to be better fathers to our kids. That involves more time together with our families, more books, more movies, more board games, and most importantly, more meals together. And if we're going to spend more meals together, we need to be better cooks. So this is us trying to figure that out. Welcome to Dad's Kitchen. What about second time lucky? In Kentucky. Apparently, like that's, that's like a British thing. Se- second time lucky. Anyway, I am really excited about this episode today, Phil. I'm very, very excited. Yeah, this is our first guest. You know, our, our podcast title is Dad's Kitchen, and we have very much focused on the kitchen side of things with like the occasional dad thing sprinkled in. And today I think is going to be a little more the other way. Today, our guest, Phil, is somebody that I think you've known for a while now. Yeah. Peter Mutabazi is someone that I've known since 2008. Peter and I went to Uganda together and worked with kids at an orphanage. And it was a really, really incredible experience. Peter was kind of the the facilitator for the trip. Peter is from Uganda, has just this absolutely amazing journey of being born into abject poverty and then through the most unlikely of circumstances, raised out of that, pulled out of that, if you will, and ends up in the United States and starts doing some absolutely incredible things, one of which is becomes a foster dad for underprivileged kids here here in the US. And then and then adopts one of his foster children. And oh my gosh, I, I'm so excited for you guys to hear his story. Peter is an incredible communicator. His joy is so infectious. And I'm just so excited to to have everyone hear Peter's story. So yes, ever since I heard a little bit of a story from you, I have been looking forward to having a chance to talk with him and to also hear his heart. As a single foster dad, you know that there has to be just something special about that person. I'm really looking forward to this episode. Peter, thank you again just for joining us. This is something that both Phil and I have looked forward to for a while now. When Phil gave me the overview of your story, there was just something so unique and impactful about it. It just really, really resonated with me. So the fact that you are a single foster dad and what that's led to with you eventually adopting Anthony, the the continued foster work, and then some of the other things that you're doing. Right, absolutely. So, you know, well, it didn't, it didn't start from there. You know, I'm originally from Uganda, so born and raised in Uganda. And, and growing up as a kid, you know, you know, life was, no, it wasn't difficult, but it was hopeless if i may use mm-hmm. the word in every way you could you could imagine you know just think about like you as a kid you grew up no one ever told you to dream no one ever told you that there's tomorrow for you and it wasn't because they it wasn't there you know it was more you know it, it's hard when a mom can't feed you for a day to tell you there's a future for you, you know? So it, it was from, you know, parents who barely had anything, you know? I grew up in a home. I had never slept on the mattress. I had never wow. had uh, two meals a, a day. You know, I, if I was lucky, I would get beans and then tomorrow you get potatoes. You couldn't have both, you know? So that's kind of a life that I, I lived, you know? Uh, we never had running water. The, the cleanest water was maybe about two, three miles away. So as a kid at four years old of age, I, I could walk to, to get water uh, for the family to drink. 
so you know so poverty is like all you know but it wasn't just our family like everyone around you when you live in the village and everyone lives and looks like you you know it's it's hard to tell the the difference or even to hope for because there's you know it's not like you have a neighbor who was doing better that you wanted to be like them like everyone around you is poor you know at age of four also began to realize that not only were we poor but my dad was the the most abusive man you could think of so mm-hmm. so you have one side you know poverty and then you have your own dad that could easily take your life so for someone to tell you hey one day you'll be 10 years old you're more like the chances of that happening is sim looks feels smells zero you know yeah. that, that there was no room to dream there was no room to think about that you could be somewhere, you know, because at night either you slept on an empty stomach or you slept at the beatings of your dad after. So for me also, if you told me like, hey, there's a future for you, I think for me, I didn't want to know the future because today was, that was what's happening tomorrow. So uh, you're poor, the abuse is knocking at door every other day. So do you really want to see the future? No. Uh, so that was my, my life. Well, at the age of 10, you know, I think I could not take the abuse anymore. It wasn't like I was looking for better plan or better place to go but i was like look i would rather be killed by someone who didn't know me than my own father you know so uh i think i was like i cannot give you a chance to take my life i would rather give it someone else in in some way so at age of 10 11 i ran away and became a street kid i'd never been 20 miles away i ran away 500 kilometers and i ended up in kampala you know and became a street kid and as you know of course i had grown up from a home where you know the only words i had for my dad I, to this day i cannot remember one positive word you know i was garbage i was good for nothing and i would never amount to anything that's what i had every day now as a street mm-hmm. kid you know not only did you hear them but you're treated you know more like a, an animal more like a garbage and so you believe it you know so that became my life for four years and finally along the way i met a stranger you know there's a family who was buying things and, and street kids we always looked for a way to steal while we we're helping and so as i tried to get food from him he gave me the food and, and i got to know him you know and uh, he fed me for a year and a half and finally he said you know what if you had an opportunity to go to school would you go to school you know and i said of course i would love to go to school but it's not really like i really wanted to go you know, uh, he was my source of food. So I thought I would tell him whatever he wants here, you know, so hmm. I can always get my meal. So that was how I, I, I really got to know him, you know. But with time, remember, he had fed me for a year and a half. So there was a little trust, you know, mm-hmm. because he'd been consistent in some way, you know. But also when he said, hey, would you like to go to school? Think about like I never had anyone see potential in me. I never had anyone believe in me. Oh, say, Peter, you, you're a good kid. There was nothing that anyone ever told me you know so there i am as a street kid you know and this stranger is like well i think you should go to school but you know i think i'd been treated more like an animal that i didn't believe i was a human being or i was at the same level as any other human being that you believe that so much so for him to say would you like to go to school it was more like wait you mean I have a potential? You mean you mean I'm human? You know, something that I really didn't see as growing up. And finally, went to school. I agreed that he would take me to school. So he took me to school. I did well in school. I went to school in Kampala, went to university, went to England as a student and came to the United States as a student. But also, I think because he'd done something for me, I always wanted to help, you know, the most vulnerable. So I worked for Compassion International for 11 years, you know. But also there was that feel of, you know, I think I was a little bit sure shocked as a as a as an African coming to the United States that people were so wealthy but they had so little knowledge about the poor who were just a stone throw away from them. And I think for me that it's not like it bothered me. It was more like, well, 
you know, too much is given, much is required. For me, that, that really convicted me. Like, how can I have so much and have a house and has two extra bedroom and say it's a blessing when I know there are kids in my neighborhood that have nowhere to go, you know? Yeah. And I think for me, because someone had done that for me, like I couldn't, I could not just have a house and say I'm blessed, you know? And so I quit my job and uh, decided to be a foster dad. Of course, as a single guy, I didn't know they would allow me, but they're like, look, you know, absolutely. If you want to sign up, we'll love to do that. Uh, and so I became a foster dad. And since then, I've had 13 kids and adopted my oldest. You know, so when I became a foster dad, sometimes it's really hard to say goodbye. Like you get to say goodbye when they go back to their parents, which is the whole idea. We always want kids to go back uh, because that bath connection is, is quite amazing, you know. So when Anthony came, I was, it's not like I was ready. I wasn't ready. I, I was like, look, two kids just went home. I need three months of break like I can't do this you know but the social worker said no 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 could you take him just for the weekend you know we'll find a home for him the following day man the kid walks in and I show him where to sleep and what to eat I said hey you can call me Mr. Peter because my last name is so long and the kid looks at me and said but can I call you my dad <sighs> you know think about like you've wanted to be a dad for a million yeah. years you know and there there's a kid that barely I mean it was about 20 minutes in the house and he says but can I call you my dad I said no but the reason I said no wasn't because I didn't want to, but I felt, man, what if I be a dad, I'm going to mess it up. So now I went to more to the question in my own self, you know, like mm -hmm. this kid has seen a dad, but am I really a good dad for him to want me to be his dad? You know, and of course I said, hey, you're only here for two days, so you cannot call me dad. But I honestly was, the fear was more of can I be a good dad, you know? And so the following week on Sunday, on Monday, they came to pick him up and, you know, finally I got the guts to ask the question like, so why is he in the foster care system? And the social worker said, well, you know, he was put in the foster care when he was a year and a half. Then he was adopted by the same family that took him in. And that family that adopted him at four just dropped him at the hospital at 11. You know, so I'm sitting there thinking, who would do that? You know, and that's when I looked at myself and said, the kid has already come in, dad. He must know somehow I can be a good dad. And and right there that day, I decided that he'll be my son. You know, well, two years later, uh, the adoption was complete. You see how the, the journey of when I, wa I wasn't prepared, it's not like something I was looking for, you know, but it happened, like it happened to be there. And the kid knew that he wanted a dad. And I happened to be present. Like all I did was to say, I will allow him to come for a weekend but look down look to what the journey has now that he's my son he's my oldest kid that two day visit has turned out for forever home that he has taught me so much you know that he's educated me on how to love it's easy to tell people we love them but until they live with us until they're at home that you know you love i wasn't patient but he's taught me how to be patient how to be kind how to love unconditionally it happened because i was willing to say i am open to that you know and that's mm -hmm. really what i love about your podcast about let me open the door to the kitchen and let me see what what will unfold later, you know? And for me, the adoption, I feel like that's what it has been, you know? That allowed a kid to come in and somehow he's given me an opportunity. I always wanted to be a dad. And there I was a dad where I could have easily said, this weekend, no, I am not taking in a child, you know? I somehow was willing to be vulnerable. Like, I don't know, but for two nights, sure, I'll give it a shot. And there we are. 
the two nights were the best nights I will ever ask for for the rest of my life. That I have a son that I love the most, that I care for, that he's taught me truly what means to be a dad because I was willing to be vulnerable. I was willing to open that kitchen. I was willing to cook a meal I didn't know how to cook, yeah. you know, that I just said yes and, and, and see what happens after. It was just amazing. So it's been a long journey, but more from a point of someone did for me, you know, I was given. I didn't have a potential, but someone saw potential in me. I was nobody, but someone made me known. You know, I seem to be, you know, off, you know, off the grid from anyone's life, but somehow he saw more in me than I ever saw in myself, you know? But also mm-hmm. on the other side that he had faith that I had potential. And I think that's all that it took for me to go this far, but also to really, in some way, I had a part to play because he saw in me that most people had not seen, but neither had I seen in myself, you know, that him taking a time as a stranger, who didn't know who I was? And that's the iron and the cool thing too. Like, it's not like we were related, you know, we had nothing in common Mm -hmm. in many ways, but for him, he saw a little kid and he said, you know what, I'll do the best I can, you know, but the faith that he had in me that I had a potential is really what led me uh, to what I'm doing now. Wow, that's fantastic. That connection between that place of hopelessness that you started and kind of where you're at now was something that I was I was really curious about. And kind of as you were telling your story, there are a couple of things that stood out to me, that kind of transition that you had. You know, it was, it was somebody that saw you and it, it doesn't sound like he just kind of stepped in and gave you all these opportunities. He, he took time and spent time with you to build that trust. Once there was that trust, it seems as though he helped you develop and build hope, hope for a future. What do you feel like the importance of those two aspects are in a child, especially kind of in in your situation where you do have kids that are kind of coming in, they're coming from not the most ideal home situations where those two things are probably lacking. Right, absolutely. You know, the, the thing he made was he recognized where I was coming from. He knew I had every baggage you could think of. He knew I wouldn't trust him either, I think, you know, and he took his time, you know, but also he embraced me of who I was. Like, it's not like he came and said, you need to change your life. No, he just he just liked me as who I was a kid and either I was dirty or I was starting to steal. Like, for him, he, he just saw me as a kid that needed to be uh, listened to, not to change, mm-hmm. but to be listened to. And I I think, you know, I love fishing. And in Africa, we have a tilapia, a fish called tilapia, and, you know, comes with scales, you know. And the way we clean them, we you remove the scale from the top, but you do it gently and slowly. And then finally you get, you have the, the fish you can eat. And I think as humans, that's how, especially boys and men, that's what we, we tend to not do. That we, you know, we want just them already clean and say, well, you know, I can help you if you have, you know, you've done one, two, three, and four. But for him, I think he... He didn't see. They said, no, no, it's my part. I will take him with his scales, no matter how hard, dirty they are, uh, that I will embrace him as who he is. And, and the same with foster kids. You know, you know, most kids in foster care, yes, they, they, there's lack of the male figure for sure. Like there's hardly any any male. So even if they're, you know, even, even if families are married, most of them they spend time with the female at home while the male is working. So even there, there's lack of, you know, the consistency of seeing a man in, in their lives. So when I came out, I became a also dad, I think everyone was worried like, oh, you're a male. What do you, I mean, what do you have? You know, that I felt that 
they looked at me like I didn't have anything to offer because we've always seen family in a traditional sense, you know. It's mom and dad. Uh, you know, most of our mom stays home and does whatever it wants for the kids. But that's not the case in the post care, you know. But also that's the stereotype I wanted to break in some way. I can be tender to them, that I can be there to to watch those scales drop one at a time and when they feel, when they are ready to do so, that it's not like it's become easy, but I think I understand it better, but also to let the kids know, you know, that you, you, you have a potential, no matter what you do, no matter where you've come from, but you have a potential. And it's my job not to remove those baggages, but to accept you with them. And along the way, show you the way as you let those baggages away, uh, that most of our foster kids really are looking for, you know, and I think as role models, as men, you know, uh, I think if we could always approach it that way, that we love people as who they are. And then along the way, that is our job to somehow provide path for them to navigate and you know and, and deal with the trauma they've gone through that's how I dealt with that he created room he created a place for me you know to breathe mm-hmm. and think and then when it came to dealing with my trauma and problem it was a little bit easier because there was that trust you know that he loved me uh, as who I was not as who he wanted me to be but along the way I turned up to what he wished I think without him having to do anything but loving me as who I was yeah, it, I, I don't know if you've seen the either the Mr. Rogers documentary or the movie that came out a few years ago with Tom Hanks. So good. There's a, a song, and I don't exactly remember the song, but the line that stuck out to me was, I like you just the way you are. And there's something that's just really powerful about that idea. And it seems like a lot of what you're talking about is just taking the time to listen and to acknowledge these kids as people and human beings and kind of acknowledge them with everything that they come with to, to take the time, I think maybe, maybe in your words, to see them and to hear them. And so that does kind of remind me of some of what I was reading about this uh, new initiative that you have, Now I Am Known. Yes, Now I Am Known. You know, so again, it goes back to my, my story. You know, as a kid, again, there's no word I could say. As You know, in Africa, we have a tendency of, you know, seeing men, uh, men come first, women come second, and children come third, you know? I never had an opportunity to be heard. Like, I never felt someone could hear me or I mattered to anyone. So once this family took me in, they truly made me know, like they finally gave me the opportunity to be hard, to be seen. Most time I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't seen, you know, uh, that I was enough. I think, you know, I worked so hard to get approval from my dad or for him to say, good son, job well done. But it never came. And so I never felt I was enough. Loved, that was a concept, something I did not understand, you know. Loved, what do you mean? Because I faced the hardest from those who should love me. Belonging, I was a street kid. I never belonged anywhere. But for for some reason, this man made me belong somewhere. He made me feel I mattered. He made me feel enough that I didn't really have to, to always prove myself to someone. You know, as a kid who ran away, you know, faced the, the most difficult thing. You know, he always said, Peter, you're brave for what you've gone through. Rather than see it as a sorry, but say, you are brave on how you managed to make it through life. And so once I became a foster dad, I wanted to do the same. Like I never had one affirmation word from my dad. Not one time. For most of my life, I live. I never heard him say, son, that was a good job. Oh, son, you matter. Or, or even listen to me like I had a problem or I needed a book to him, you know, to, for me to say, dad, can I have something? Nope. I was never hurt. I never talked to my dad face to face. And so once I that happened, I wanted to really 
be the opposite as a dad, you know, that I am a force of dad. I wanted to use those words of affirmation that changed my life for my kids as well. The way I can vividly remember the first day I went to their family, he told me he has five kids. So he told his kids to sit in the back of the car so I can sit in front. And I hesitated. I was like, uh, I can't sit in front because that's a seat that deserved for the special ones, for your children, for your wife, not me. You know, so I didn't go. And he said, Peter, you, you're special. And you matter. Wow. That's why I want to sit there. But I can to this day still remember what time it was, what I was wearing, where I was standing, because I had never had someone say those words to me that truly changed my life. And so I figured if I really want to change, you know, last of our kids, and that's most of our kids, that's the world they've come from. You know, they are moved from one house to the other. Their parents have given up. They've been neglected. Like they feel no, no one is, can hear them. They feel they're never enough because they are moved from one house to the, to the other. They never feel brave of what they're going through. They're not seen. And so I wanted to use words of affirmation as a dad to really encourage my kids. Uh, most of kids also go through trauma. So there are days, times when they don't want to listen to me, you know, when they don't want to hear those words. So I figured, hey, we have an animal. We have a dog who they love so much. So if I can put these words on a bandana and then my kids are able to see them, even if they don't want to listen to me, but at least they can play with a dog and see those words, that they get to remember that, you know what? I belong here. You know what? I am brave. You know what? I am a gift. And that's kind of how uh, I really wanted to make sure every kid, you know, in the foster care that can be seen hard, that they are known, that they are not just something forgotten out there to know that they are known and use my platform to truly give them a voice and share stories and share our journey. As men, it's really hard to be vulnerable, but I've learned how to be vulnerable as a foster dad. But for one reason, just so our kids who are listening, so moms and dads who are there wanting to make a difference, they can say, you know what? I want to be that man that can change the child's life. But also our kids that can hear those words that they are hard and use my platform to truly make them known. And that's why I came up with a small organization to truly use a platform, use a, a time. But also since I'm a foster dad, I'm about to take in a teenager who's 16 years old oh, as well. Wow. You know, so I'm still fostering, you know, and I still would like to adopt more and be that advocate for kids. And so I thought this would be the best way we could tell stories. We could tell their stories but also that I can share with my fellow parents. that Our kids, and they don't have to be from foster care. Any any child, you know, as parents, we get to be busier. Mm-hmm. As dads, we get to be macho and all that. But we forget to say the words that sometimes our kids want to hear. You're brave. You're a gift to me. You know that? Those words that, that mean special. And not just to say them because we want them to feel cool. No, but I think sometimes we forget to share with them and say, you're not alone. I hear you. I'm here. I can hear you. And that's why we came up with this small uh, organization, you know, now I'm known to, to truly use it as a platform to change lives for many. Peter, that means so much to me. Uh, I'm totally a words of affirmation guy, you know, like there's so many ways that you can show love to someone. But for me, like the words of affirmation is just so important. And that's something that I think my dad did a pretty good job of you know, letting me know that, that I'm important to him just by affirming. And so I'm just so happy that that's kind of what you've chosen. It's, it just really resonates with me so, so much. And it's something that I'm trying to do with my kids as well. I've got two daughters and one of them is 100% words of affirmation. And the other one, I don't think really cares a whole lot about that, (laughs) or she just shows (laughs) love and, and interprets love in different ways. But I do, but I don't care. Like I do it with both of them and I don't stop. And just the other day, you know, my older daughter who, who 
doesn't necessarily gravitate toward the words of affirmation was watching a show. She had her headphones on or something and I made her turn it off just for a second. I was like, hey, can you pause that just for one minute? And she looks up and I was like, I just want to let you know that I love you. And then she's like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to get back to what I was yeah. doing now, you know? And But Phil, I think there's something powerful with that. Even if that's not necessarily like exactly her love language, you're still like imparting some level of identity there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of that's definitely being internalized. Right. I have a, a neighbor and they've got like a one and a half or two years old. You know, I said, even when that kid is crying and cannot tell you what they are feeling, for you to say, I hear you, I can hear you. You're crying. It's not a bad thing to do, but I know you're in pain or I know you're hungry and I want to listen. But the only way you you can talk to me is scream and cry. That it's okay to say, you know, I think it's easy sometimes to sush kids like, no, don't. Not here. But sometimes to say, son, I understand. It's okay. It's okay to, to feel agitated. It's okay to feel mad when you want to score and you can't, you can't make it. Like, it's okay. And I, I think for me, that's where, you know, that I've launched. It's not so much that the reaction I want from it, but it's so much internally to know, okay, I, I hear you. I'll give you an example. So when I moved in with this family, I was always scared that they would kick me out because I always felt I didn't belong there. You know, that I didn't belong there. But here's a cool thing he always did. They always had a table and they will always make sure that I sit on the table. But they didn't say you have to sit on the table. They were always, Peter, that's your seat. You know, you can sit there. But it made me feel I belonged. It, it was an internal feeling I had that I didn't belong there. But on how they really showed me a way to believe that I belonged there was. They gave me a chair at the table. That that's all it took to affirm to help me know that I belong. And most of our kids, sometimes they really don't feel belong. E- even for you have kids, they go to school, they're like, I don't belong in this school you know I I don't feel I'm part of here and how do we encourage to feel like no it's it's part of you you belong here you're part of every kid in class here you're part of every kid in Sunday school and and how do we do that as a parent so kids internally can really think through them and then feel like okay I think my dad understands that when I cry I'm not gonna frustrate him or feel like I'm doing something bad but he will Give me an opportunity to be heard. Like he will, he will listen to me. Yeah. So what, what Peter, do you think it really takes to start to develop that sense of, of belonging? I, I know like you've talked about just being there and that consistency of being there. What, what type of role do you feel like time plays in that? Whether that's kind of quantity or quality or the time that we have to give to our kids. Oh, well, so I come from Africa where time seemed like stretched for a long time, you know, uh, we do things slowly. And then when I came to United States, you know, I felt like everything is a microwave. Mm. You want to make a friend today uh, <laughs> and then yeah. tomorrow, no, you, we want things now. And if we don't, we kind of get frustrated that we don't really have time to say, OK, whatever I'm trying to earn, it really takes time, you know. And especially for us as a dad, kids watch what we do. And it's not something we do every day, but as consistent as we can be that kids get to to understand that oh that's how things are done or they get to really know that it's not a one time you know i again i, I want to be honest with you guys yes i come from a, a hard place where life was really difficult so there are some things I, I don't trust people easily you know you can be my friend for a day but i don't really get to understand until six months later because that's kind of the, the trauma that i you know i grew up with that uh, you don't trust people, but with time, they prove who they are. So time is, uh, is is one thing that plays for us. Our kids, you know, I have kids who have come from 
the hard places. And sometimes, so I was trying to teach my kid to make the bed, you know, or arrange his clothes and put them in the closet. But no one had ever shown him. He's 11, but no one had ever shown him that. So for me to assume that somehow if I do it 10 times, he will get it. You know, like I realized like, "Mm, no, that doesn't work. (laughs) That I learned. It's an ongoing, you know, and it's not me telling him, but him, me being involved in doing what I want him to. Because I'm the only example he's seen. And so for me to not be frustrated because I'm doing it the hundredth time, but to be encouraged that it takes time. And it's my role as a dad to tag alongside and rather than be, uh, say, give up, man, this kid will never get it. But somehow really do it over and over. You know, he didn't know how to make his bed. You know, like he had no clue what making bed is. Now we've been together for three years. It's still an issue, but for sure, but it has changed, you know, at least he will throw, he will cover everything under the bed and then throw the cover really clean. So you get, <laughs> you know, so he's found a way. I, I still but do at that. The same so. time to, there you go, Phil. But it's another way of, for me to see like, yeah, he's made an effort, but not my standard I'm looking for, but in his own way, by me being consistent, I can see him, you know, uh, learning and growing where he needs to. That's really good. So jumping off of that idea of time and consistency, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do with this podcast is like on the surface, yes, get better at kitchen stuff, get better at making meals, but it's not necessarily about the end result, the the quality of food, but rather the idea that we do feel like so much of our family like exists in and around the kitchen and around food. And if life and family happen in the kitchen, that's where I want to be and that's where I want to be spending my time. Yeah. So with that in mind and with the idea in mind that it's not necessarily about that end result, creating gourmet meal, but about the, the time and memories spent together. Do you have any most memorable moments or, or times with either Anthony or other kids that you've been able to foster kind of in the kitchen? I have noticed that on, on social media, you, you do have quite a few different posts with you guys in the kitchen making things together. But I don't know if there's any, anything that really specifically stood out to you. You know, so again, going back to my, my, my family. So growing up, I didn't grow up in a home where someone could tell me they love me or show me the affection, like zero. But my mom, while she's cooking, she would, that's when she would talk to us, you know, mm-hmm. that would be a while she's yeah. in the kitchen making. But for me, that's how I learned that she loved us. You know? oh, wow. I got to know about her, her history. I got to know about her background while she's making meals, you know, because she had to work and grow crops every morning. And so there was never time for her to be around us. But during the meal, yes. So once I became a force that, man, our kitchen is where we do homework, is where we do disputes, is where we divide. I mean, it's literally, it's the one place where you cannot walk away or where we it's like think of I don't know how to explain to you like the we go sort out things in the court you know courthouse but I feel like our kitchen is the courthouse <laughs> you know that's where we do all but also that's where they get to learn about who I am you know how I'm a messy cooker or how I'm not good you know but they're able to be there to critique I mean but also get to learn as well like it's just an amazing place where they get to learn you know my son was making a, a smoothie yesterday but I was like so when did you learn to? But I noticed like he just watches me do it. So he figured that's what you get. That's where you go. He knew how, how to make a smoothie. So for me, kitchen has truly been the place we can call not even a family place. It's more of a place like where our lives are shaped 
where our lives are mentored, where we get to see the future in some way, because that's what we make all the plans. That's where as a single dad, I don't have another person looking at the kids where they are playing video there. Like, you know, they can watch video while they're in the kitchen because it's the only way I can keep an eye on them. But also they get to see what I'm doing, you know. Uh, so kitchen is for me my home. It's kind of weird to say, but it, it's like the only place in my home that is home, you know, uh, that we love it so much that that's why we do anything, everything, homework, church, projects, name it all. It all happens uh, in the kitchen. Again, as you, you, you're saying, it's not so much about what you cook. For me, it's so much about how we learn about each other. You know, I've got to learn more about my kids and their families when we are cooking and they're like, yeah, the other family, my mom used to do that. I'm like, oh, okay, what did he used to do? What she used to do? And they would tell me about their background. While they would never tell me if I said, could you tell me about your background? But by being in the kitchen, doing a few things, then they'll say, well, my mom taught me to do this. Oh, my dad used to do this and that's how i've come to learn more about my kids and also them learn about me it's almost like the the kitchen is exposes who you are and like breaks it down into you know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and it's almost like we become more of who we are in the kitchen and i'm not sure if that you know resonates with everybody but it just seems to make perfect sense yes it does you know also i come from a culture where men were never allowed to go in the kitchen because that was like the, the female's place to be you know if you want to respect her don't go in the kitchen you know and for me i'm like no that's not true you know yeah. i guess i'm a rebel i was like look you know, <laughs> I, I i'll be the mom i'll be the dad i'll be all uh, but also knowing that it's a it's a cool place to be vulnerable as well when you cook a meal and your kid says my dad your mac and cheese tastes horrible today and you're like okay uh but they're able to tell you and the next time i'm like okay maybe i need to make it better and better so in some way as they teach me it's as much as i'm, I'm learning and learning about them as well what they like you know that they're there to explain and, and tell me and for me also culturally i'm from a different country that i didn't really know the ingredients you know i'd never had mac and cheese you know i have no idea what's the best mac and cheese is but to let them teach me to let them say okay how did your mom make it you know and they'll say mm-hmm. well put this put butter put that and i'm like okay but to me it was a way to get to know my kids you know like i figured that's a cool way you know for me to teach me about who they are what they like you know and that's why i learned to know what's their best meal as quickly as possible because i did let them come in the kitchen and help me you know and be that vulnerable like i don't i don't know what i'm doing so i know your mom is a good cook so how did she make it you know yeah there there is such an interesting vulnerability in the kitchen and i think over meals in general just having that shared activity together and that time, that time spent together doing something. I think it's great that and really is true that you can see somebody's background with the the type of food that they grew up with and the things that even are tied to memories of the past. How, how much of your cultural culinary upbringing have you been able to share with them? Uh, well, yes, I had to learn really quickly. My kids come from the, the marginalized, sometimes the poor of the poorest, that they didn't have the opportunity to have meals like you know, most of us have hard sometimes, you know, that for a year they would live on, you know, Roman noodle and that's it. And to me, that's really been sad to watch, but at the same time, well, cool to, to watch them learn how to, to enjoy meals they never had and, you know, bring in a few things that they never had before, uh, you know, the, the, the African meals. And I'm able to teach them about my life, about my past, about, you know, where I come from. Like, okay, this is how we make potatoes. It might not 
test or look like uh, what you're used to, but I want you to try it because when I was a kid, this is how it was made. So there's that. Uh, I always have to give them warning. Hey, it looks different, you know, but also give them the background. Why does it look different? Well, that's where I come from, you know, so they honor it. The way they approach, they're like, oh, that's really cool. Is that how all African kids eat? I was like, absolutely. So I'm giving them about my past, showing them my culture, but in some way also introducing them to a different way on how we eat potatoes and a different way on how we make eggs and a different way on how we mix things that they're not used to. But bring it more from a cultural point of view rather than let's try this meal, but bring it with history and bring it in somewhere to say there are different ways, they're different, you know, they haven't traveled to Africa or to other places of the world. And, and the other thing you have to remember, you know, they are Caucasian kids and a black dad, you know, so that there's that element of always teaching them like, hey, you, you might have grown seeing things this way, but it doesn't mean that it's a wrong way. It's the right way. But also this person on the other end has uh, a cultural way on how he was raised. So to see both worlds, like they are both good, though they are different. Uh, and that's been the joy for me, you know, to have kids who totally come from a different culture, look different than I do. I've seen in some of your social media work that you, you often wear a T-shirt and Anthony often wears a T-shirt that says families don't have to match. And it's kind yes. of like this reoccurring, almost like a uniform. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And I, it just makes me wonder, have, have there been challenges with that, with kind of the, like you mentioned, the, the Caucasian kids and what that looks like for you? Have there been any, any challenges? Yes, there have been three ways I can describe the challenge. You know, we face the racial problems, you know, in different ways. So there are those who... You know, they want to protect the kids so that they, they view you as the wrong person with the right kids. So then they'll call the police like, OK, he's a black man. He has two white kids. That can't be right, you know. So then they'll call the police wow. uh, and the police will follow us or ask us, you know, who are you? Why? You know, but that is ignorance, you know, sometimes like this. You can't change it. You can't change how people think, but rather approach it with an attitude, you know, because this is my dream. This is my calling that I don't want it to be uh, watered down or brought more baggages than what we have because someone doesn't like how we look like, you know, that you learn to embrace it and learn that there are people who always see it different. So rather than be mad, but rather in some way expect it. Then there are those where we go to, especially in the grocery stores. So they're seeing the kids and then they're seeing you, but they still can't put you together. They're like, okay, where are your parents? They will ask, where are your parents? And then the kids are standing there like, he's right here, you know? And, and, and the cool thing is that the kids don't see me as the black dad. They see me as a dad. That's it. Mm -hmm. They see the color. I know that. But for them, I'm a dad, period. That's it. So when someone else is questioning, they're like, what do you, what do you mean you can't see dad? He's right here, mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes, you, you know, you, it's not like you want to argue, but you, you want to educate people as well. Like, hey, I might, I might seem different, but, I, but I'm their dad, you know? And then you have those who just really in some way seem like as a black man, as a black dad, I'm not fit to be a dad to my kids because of my mm. color, you know? And those are three different ways on how we face it on a daily basis, you know? The questions, you know, are you fit to be a dad? Why do you have them? Why should you? That, that we face every day, you know? But again, I come from a world where we've seen the worst of all. I, I've come from a, a home and a background where in some way being called names or being seen that I wasn't worthy, that I understood, but I also knew how to overcome that. You know, that I've come to, to learn that as a parent, that not everyone would embrace what you're about. 
but you can't take the love for the kids away. You can't, you know, for me to care for the vulnerable, that, that's a passion. That's something that is on my heart that no, I will not let anyone take that away. But at the same time, I acknowledge that people will always see things different. Not like I want to be mad, but in some way, maybe be the best I can to educate them, to change the narrative, you know? I think we've seen more white families that have adopted black kids than we've seen the other way around. So in some way to say, no, it's not true. There are black families that have adopted white kids and it's okay, you know, there are no boundaries. And to change that narrative, that the more people see us, that they know it's normal, that they don't have to question it. But also understanding that's the issue of that person who's judging me or not accepting me and I can't change it I can't change I always have to prove myself like no you know that you embrace it and say sorry I hope you you learn along the way but you walk away uh, with joy otherwise I wouldn't be able to function if I had to think through you know what people say or do it sounds like with your kids you're already doing so much to change what you can in terms of those mentalities and i think one of the the bigger things that we face today in all of the whether it's racial struggles or you know different types of class struggles is this idea that all too often we don't see the humanity in other people and it's really easy just to think that everybody is is like you or everybody should be like you. And then when somebody's different, you see them as the other, you start to vilify them in a way, they become the enemy. There's this large us versus them mentality that's created. And just that idea that you are really trying to take the time to impart this thought to your kids that everybody everybody is different and everybody's worth knowing. Everybody has a story that's, that's worth taking the time to listen to. When you start to see them and see them as a, as a person that's just like you, that they have value, that they have hopes and dreams and fears in the same way that you do. It's, it's really hard to think of them as the other or the enemy. And so in, in a way to me, just listening to you, it feels like the work that you're doing with, with these kids, it's taking that first step. It's, it's like you're doing your part to change the minds and mentalities of of so many and the, the the ramifications of that I think it feels so important yeah and the cool thing like it worked for me so for me I am speaking from experience or I am I am doing it because I was that kid who no no one saw potential in him you know I was that kid who was seen on the other side oh you matter not you're nobody you know oh you're not even human sometimes that you know it's a little bit easy for me to understand when people say that like well you know I, I've been there and and my my world is I was starting to really speak on behalf of those the kids you know I didn't tell you guys, but we created a plushie, you know, so the Simba. Yeah. So, so the, oh, look at that. Yeah. Yes, I know. So it's plushy. So you, it has, so when kids receive it, it, it says, you know, it says, hello, what's my name? So the kid is able to name the plushie to their, whatever their name they want to. But the plushie has those 12 words of affirmation, you know, uh, and we wanted something where that we wanted kids to feel, okay, I can go, I can go to bed. Or I can go somewhere and get to have a little something that reminds me I'm special. You know, that I'm known. You know, you are not alone. You belong. You matter. Your heart, your gift. The kids can have that, you know? And that's something we created. So basically, we, we sell one and then we give the other one goes to kids in the foster care, you know? And they also get a bandana, you know, an adult bandana that has those 12 words to remind them. It's for you guys to have it in your in your desk and sit, and put it on the side. You say, how often do I tell my my wife she's brave for whatever she does you know things that seem more natural for us you're like honey you are brave for what you do you know or to realize that people 
struggle with a few things in, in your life to know that you have a friend who, who always feels like they are not seen, but to sometimes have that on your desk and call them and say, hey, hey, Jessica, or hey, Moses, you know, what? I just want to let you know that you are seen, that you are, you're seen. I just want to let you know that. that how that really improves the life of who is receiving it, you know? So that's why we created a few of these as a reminder. Honestly, I can tell you, it doesn't come easy for me. These are things I was never brought up with. So they don't come to natural. So I have to have them in my car. So in the car, I have it. So I can always remember, you know, in a house that I can always remember, you know, at my job, a desk that I can always remember if I'm making a phone call to, to someone that I can always remember. How do I affirm them, you know? Uh, but in so mm, doing yeah. that I'm affirming myself as well. So that's really cool. I'm literally ordering two of those right now for my kids. Those are so cute. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so for, for your kids, just also like when, you, when, you, when your kids receive them to say, hey, dad loves you. And these are things I want to tell you what I think about. But for you having this, you're also telling the other two kids yeah. somewhere. So our plushies come with a number. There's a, a secret number. And that number, only that kid will give it to another child. So there's no duplicate. Oh, cool. you know? So for you, a teaching moment to think of your kids like, okay, how do I make this more of a teaching moment than just a toy? You know, to sit with your little girls and say, hey, there are kids who don't get to hear this. There are kids somewhere. And you having this every day, they're also getting to have that, to be able to read them that they are special, though sometimes they have nowhere to sleep. So it's a cool tool we wanted to somehow, you know, the parents to use and remind their kids on how special they are, but also how they're making special something to another kid somewhere. And where do people buy this plushie? On our website. So that website you're on, you know, Now I'm Known. So you go Now I'm Known and then you go to the shopping. So then you can buy a bandana, a t-shirt, all the plushies. For every plush you buy, we give the other to a child. Perfect. I'll put that in our show notes. Yes. Thank you. And Peter, if somebody just wanted to follow along with your story as well as that continued support of, of Now I'm Known, where where would they find you on social media or otherwise? Uh, you know, Force Dad Flipper. That's my Instagram. Or Peter Mutabazi, Force Dad on, on Facebook. Or they can watch our YouTube. We also have a YouTube, you know, youtube.nowimknown.com. So they get to see our lives. We know, as I say, like it's easier to put a nice picture on Instagram, you know, but I like that the YouTube that we get to go behind the scene, you know, to to see what we go through as dads to, you know, like when you guys invited me to come here, I mean, I was super thrilled. Why? Because you're, you're dads that are, that I can't understand me. You're dads that truly are reaching out to other dads. There's lack of male participation in families, uh, to be honest, you know, as you said earlier, most of our kids, they are looking for a mentor. They are looking for someone that they can look and say, you know, this person really cares. And we like that from a dad point of view or from a male point of view that you notice like there's hardly any any male and for me to have this platform with you guys that you're there to encourage dad to say it's not about hey let's go work out and have the best you know abs we can have you know but how can we be part of the family how can we add a value how can we be willing to be vulnerable how can we really sit down and say how do we make our home our kitchen a place where we can grow with our families you know where I come from it's a world where men were never allowed to be in, you know. So for you to to just really say, no, that's not true. No, this is a home where I can be truly the best I can be as a dad to grow, to learn, 
to impact others. So I was really thrilled to be uh, with you, Phil and Chris. So it's truly a joy. Thank you so much. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, that means so much. I think uh, last last thing for me is, you know, Chris and I have often said, like, as we'll, we'll, we'll kind of keep the conversation rolling. Like, how are things going with the podcast? What have we learned? How far have we come? And I keep going back to when we first started, I wanted to really do one simple thing, and that was connect more with my kids in the kitchen. You know, regardless of what platform we might end up having or, or whatever metrics there are involved on how many downloads we have or, you know, trivial things like that. So far in this journey, I have done what I set out to mm. do. And I personally have spent more time in the kitchen and have connected with my kids. So, man, if anything, I've so loved this interview with you because hearing your story and hearing how you have impacted all these children is going to make me a better dad. So thank you so much, Peter. This is this has really been quite something. And I'm, I think both Chris and I are so honored that you would join us. Well, it's a joy. Always know. I hope this is not the last one. You can always invite me yeah. and, see, and see how we are doing. We, we get, so I'm about to get another kid. So usually, you know, it's, it's a good good time to always give you updates on what on what life is, you know. Again, uh, for what you're doing, you're making the, the modern man, you know, be hard and be seen, you know. And I, I have friends who are moms that sometimes they're like, I wish you could come and empty the dishwasher. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. So to me, to to hear you guys say say that you know it's it's a joy you know the kitchen is a place where we, we learn but also that we can probably make the best friendship and an opportunity to share with family when we are willing to see it that way not a place to go eat but a place to go connect and a place to go learn as well. You know, in Africa, we have a saying, it takes a village, you know, to raise right, kids. Yeah. And that's in some way for you, you know, for you, Phil and Chris, like that's the village. That's my village. And so you are my mm. village. And I appreciate that. Absolutely. This has been fantastic. Thanks, Peter. Wow. Are you inspired or what? I think Peter is absolutely one of my new favorite people. Um, that, that was just so good. Can he be my dad? <laughs> he can adopt a 30-something-year-old, right? Well, that, that really was fantastic. He had so many great perspectives. Um, I think I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while. And just to reiterate, if somebody wants to support what he's doing, whether that's through purchasing one of the plushies that then gets a in-kind donation to a child in the foster system or just following along, with Peter and Anthony's story, where would people go to find Peter online, Phil? Yeah, his website is nowiamknown.com. You can also find him on Instagram at fosterdadflipper. He has this amazing curated Instagram page that almost like tells this story of who he is and what his mission is. And it's, it's honestly my favorite Instagram profile on the entire internet. And then he has this really amazing YouTube channel, which kind of just goes behind the scenes, like he, like he said uh, during the interview. And I believe that is youtube.com slash now I am known. So please, please check him out and let Peter change your life. Yes, yeah, so absolutely check him out. And thank you again, Peter, for taking the time to come and share your story with us. It meant so much. And I really could not think of a better first guest for us here at Dad's Kitchen. And we want to hear your story. If you want to be a guest on the Dad's Kitchen podcast, reach out to us. You can send us an email at hello at dadskitchenco.com or reach out to us on Instagram, DM us at dadskitchenco.com.